Hello and welcome to another episode of the Barefoot Mediator podcast, news and views from Jane Gunn and guests. In this episode, I speak with Annabelle Beals, who is a researcher and writer focusing on the rights of Indigenous peoples, particularly during the exploration, planning and implementation of natural resource extraction projects in connection with which she has also examined intercultural approaches and the use of mediation. So welcome, Annabelle. Thank you so much, Shane. Thanks for having me. So Annabelle, tell us a little bit about you and your background and in particular why you're so passionate about what you do. I know you've just finished uh, a PhD and we've spoken during that time when you've been really busy focusing on that on uh, Indigenous people's rights. And I think, you know, that's absolutely fascinating and particularly in the times we're living in. So tell me where your passion for that comes from. Well, I mean, I... I feel like I'm one of these people that has a lot of different passions and they all sort of come together somehow. But I, I started with a degree in psychology and physiology um, and then I moved into a human rights and development organisation. And then I spent some time in the construction industry um, and then I went back to university to do a PhD. So I've sort of covered quite a lot of sectors. But really, the, the passion for the PhD started when I was at university. I went with a friend of mine to Brazil to actually help with her research project um, in the Amazon, looking at um, the impact of logging on wildlife and um, food food products in the Amazon. And it was just so fascinating to me how this amazing resource that we have in the Amazon is so important for, for different reasons to the people that live there, to the government of Brazil, and also to the international community in terms of you know, it, it being the lungs of the world and we all have an interest in, in preserving it and also to the companies that work there. So how do we understand the different interests that come into that situation and how do we kind of work with the conflicts that that brings up? So that was really the sort of start of my interest. And then when I went to do my PhD, I was looking at um, an in- Indigenous people's right to give consent to developments within their territories. But really that encompasses so much more in in terms of the difference of worldviews and what does it mean to be part of the land or to own land and what's the purpose of humans in relation to land and how do we relate to one another and to the land in that in that context it's fascinating Annabelle because I think uh, and we've been talking about before we we sort of turned on the 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 audio is that sometimes we don't think and if we've lived in a particular nation for a long time, we don't think about, you know, how do we come to be there or how do we come to sort of have the ideas that we have around our association with community and land. And so it's fascinating to be able to go back down and dig a bit deeper and explore that and then perhaps put it into context in the times we're living in. And I wonder what you do think of the times we're living in and how some of the things you're exploring relate relate to that oh great question um <laughs> one, of, one of the things that I've two, two things that I've really picked up from from doing the research and from reading a lot of writing by indigenous people is um the impact that long-term ideas from you know four or five hundred years ago are still having on the world that we live in today and, and from a European point of view European philosophy looks at land as um something that we can own and we can pass on to other people and we usually own it individually. Um, And as um, humans, 
we usually use the land productively. That's that's the kind of way that we relate to it. Whereas with indigenous cultures, often the land is held collectively for everybody. And it's not so much about productive use as stewardship and mm. um, a spiritual relationship with it. So they're two very different approaches. Um, and I think in terms of where we are now, obviously we're looking at climate change. We've just, we're going through a pandemic, which in part is related to how we've um, overexploited the lands and made ourselves vulnerable to new pathogens. Um, and so I think really understanding um, the assumptions that we've based our society on and reassessing them from the point of view of not only what we feel is right, but also what other people think about it, who perhaps haven't been as involved in the decision making or who definitely haven't been involved in the decision making. But having that humility to reconsider our own assumptions um, from a different perspective, I think, will we'll provide new solutions and, and new ideas for how we go forwards. It's interesting that you you do explore there, you know, how perhaps the way we've used the land and um, not been stewards, perhaps, maybe at the root cause or one of the root causes of, of, of something like a pandemic. And, you know, this idea that we're just going to go back to normal has never rung true with me. You know, there, it, it seems to me that there is an opportunity, if you like, to say, what can we learn from this? What have we not done well that would enable us to operate better as a society? And of course, society becomes so much more complex the more people you have, you know, the small groups, indigenous groups that you've studied, mm -hmm. you know, how do we apply that learning to larger nations and larger states? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I've, at the same time as doing my PhD, I've been working in the business and positive social impact sector. And that's completely, you know, completely different, multinational companies, global supply chains. Um, but what is interesting is the shift that is happening towards um, understanding sustainability and understanding resilience and understanding um, engaging with the people at the sort of bottom end of the supply chain and understanding their issues um, and changing business models so that they are more resilient and have a better life. And I think a lot of that is about also listening, listening to their ideas um, for, for how their lives would work better. Because I think so for quite a few years, we've had this idea that well, sort of for centuries, we've had an idea that European civilization is somehow the pinnacle and everybody else is going to come and be like us. And I think this is a, a moment almost of, of reckoning, of realizing that we don't actually have everything right. Um, and we do need to make some quite drastic reconsiderations about the way that we relate to each other and, and to the world that we live in. How do you see that happening, Annabelle? How do you see and who do you think might um, facilitate that debate? Because I don't see much debate going on. And that's, you know, for me as a, as a lawyer and a mediator, you know, where we're evidence-based, but it's also about the discussion and about the debate I'd like to stimulate this debate and say you know how can we learn and how can we learn from each other and let's dig up all the evidence don't hide anything let's have a great big conversation about where we all go from here how would yeah. we do that I mean I think I think it started but I think it's not going terribly well at the moment if you look at the Brexit debate for example in the UK if you look at the Black Lives Matter movement and the response that there's been to that you know we're, we're talking about our colonial history but we're focusing on things like statues and whether or not they should be there um and you know the idea of how do we teach our history um yes. how do we understand um where we've come from 
so that we can understand where we want to go. Um, and I think there does need to be a, you know, a, an improvement in the way that we manage those conversations as a society. But I think as individuals, one thing that the PhD has done for me is, is sort of understanding more about the indigenous way of looking at the world or indigenous people's um, ideas. Um, it's made me realize that I don't really know where I come from. Um, and we've lost in the UK our own ancestral teachings and our, you know, our, our own understanding of our families. Often we kind of move around a lot. We're not particularly related to a particular piece of land. We might not live close to our families. We might not have an idea of sort of two or three or four generations back who our ancestors actually were. So it's kind of triggered a process in me of trying to understand um, where I'm from myself. Um, and also trying to re-engage with some of the um, older stories that have come out of, of what is now the UK in terms of folklore. and Because um, I think there's, there's real wisdom in those that are common amongst all traditions. Um, but so personally for me, it's getting back in touch with some of that and then seeing how I can apply it in my own life. Really, in the I, word. I like the idea there, Annabelle, that we should get back in touch with stories because storytelling, as you're saying, has always been the basis of society. And we've told, you know, that it's the stories that have been told and retold. And I, I know as my parents were getting old, you know, we wanted to explore their stories and their narrative, where they come from, you know, what did they believe? What have their life been like? And we're fascinated by those programs on the television that explore in depth. And I, I think we should all be exploring the stories, the narrative that actually defines who we are individually and collectively, and then having a debate about it. And then, you know, story is about what story do we create going forward? Because we are the authors of that story individually. And, and I guess that's the next question I wanted to come on to is to say, you know, one of the one of the messages that's coming out of this podcast series is that you know we keep looking externally for leaders particularly in times of crisis and yet my understanding is that we are all leaders ourselves and that it's up to us as individuals to step up and create this new narrative this new story and i want i wonder from your background and your research how how you feel about that idea um, I'm, I'm convinced of that idea. Um, I, one of, one of the um, last things I did in my PhD was actually looking at different types of mediation um, for use between states and indigenous peoples. And um, as well as sort of rights-based mediation and what sort of interest-based mediation that might be more common. There's also another form of mediation called narrative mediation. And it very much does that. It looks at the different stories that the two sides have been telling themselves about the conflict. And it appreciates how, as, as humans, we do, we live our life in stories and we tell ourselves stories about the significance of things in our culture, the significance of um, who we are and what we do. And so using those, you can use those as ways to get into debates and, and, and to understand better yourself and other people. So um, I think, that's a really important part of it is understanding where do I get this idea of what does it mean to be a good neighbor or what does it mean to be a good um, service provider or what does it mean to be a good mother and where have I got these ideas from and who's yes. how have these been passed through the generations where I come from and how is that different from you coming from somewhere else in the world um, and what can we learn from each other when we do that and I think that applies 
that can apply all over from business conversations to personal conversations. And, and there's, there was some research done, I think, by Sarah Cobb um, that looked at mediations and saw that in 75% of the mediation she looked at, the person who started the conversation significantly influenced the outcome because of the way that they framed the conversation in the first place. Mm. So the words that we use to describe the situations that we're in can make a huge difference to how we process the solutions for those those problems. That's fascinating. And perhaps I'll put the um, link to that research in the in the show notes, Annabelle, because it would be interesting uh, to see. And I, I think what you're saying, I, I'm, now, I'm now a mother to two daughters, but a grandmother to three granddaughters. And I'm looking there at, you know, what elements of my mothering have been passed on. It's so fascinating to watch my daughters as mothers and see what I see in them. You know, it's what's what's the same and what's different. You know, what's been passed down through the generations and what's new. I think that's really interesting and nothing nothing wrong about that. I, I'm just fascinated to watch the process go on, um, really. And, and I wonder then what you think about, you know, leaders who are uh, in organisations, you know, with your work with organisations, what kind of leaders are we looking for in where we do have leaders in organisations and in governments? What, what skill sets, what, what um, characteristics are we looking for these days? Well, I think there's a, especially with the kind of turn towards um, the future of work and the sort of um, automation and AI, um, there's a growing realization that it's actually interpersonal skills that really make the difference. Um, and and what is it? I think people and the public are expecting of big companies now is to change the way that they're working and to be much more conscious of what their role is beyond um, simply making profit. You know, what's their responsibility to their employees, their customers, the communities that they work in, and, and the wider planet? Mm. Um, and so, I think is that there's a huge need and, and there are some great examples of leaders who really do listen and who engage with different stakeholders perhaps not just you know not just the investors which is perhaps the traditional way of running a company but really engaging with the employees engaging with small farmers and supply chains with um you know people in very vulnerable uh, poor communities who are you know as potential customers what are their needs how can we meet their needs um in a way that's cost effective but also you know good for those people um, and so it's quite a different way of doing business I think I think people are experimenting with new business models mm. that that look at how they can make a positive impact beyond looking at profit and what I love about what you've just said Annabelle and, and you've done this exploration into where mediation fits is that and I've had this vision is that mediation is much wider than solving uh you know a legal or a workplace problem that the mm -hmm. skills that we use as mediators can now be applied in helping people to have these conversations at, at, in organizations in communities to understand and create the narrative for moving forward so I love that you mm -hmm. emphasize that yeah yeah, I, I think it's it's part of, you know, why wait until you've got a big problem? Why not use all these skills to sort of prevent the problems and, and find new ways around them? Um, yeah. And and to I think to sort of loosen up mindsets and help people bring their purpose to work as well, because we are, I, I think this, another thing that's come up for me doing my PhD is this idea of the, 
the way that we divide things into opposites in in European culture sometimes. So we have men and women and we have, you know, man and the planet. And we also have business and personal. And I think more and more people are realizing that business is personal and personal can be business. And it's, you know, about allowing people to bring their purpose to their jobs um, and realizing that the impact of what they do in their jobs has personal impacts for other people that they can either see or, you know, are actually very remote, but that they are having an impact and how can they make the best positive impact with the tools and the, the role that they have at the moment. Wow, what a fascinating discussion, Annabelle. And, and your research is so relevant at the moment, you know, from looking at at purpose and at story and at narrative uh, and, and mediation skills and how we can pull all this together, you know, in our lives and in our organizations. I wonder what would your final message to listeners be? Um, my final message, I think it would be to, for me, it's been about understanding where I've come from and what my values are and how I can put those into practice in the work that I'm doing. And that's a constant, you know, that's a constant quest that I'll probably have for the rest of my life, I should imagine. Um, but I think if people are consistent with their values, then that will be a great start. And I love the idea of a constant quest. So I think, uh, you know, I'd encourage listeners to continue their quest in these challenging times. Um, Annabelle, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. And if people want to contact you to learn any more about your work, how would they do that? Um, they can contact me through LinkedIn. That's a good place for me. And also, um, if they want to look at businessfightspoverty.org, um, I work with them fairly regularly. Um, and they do a lot of work in the business and positive social impact space. Excellent. So look up Annabelle Beals on LinkedIn and Business Fights Poverty. Annabelle, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you so much. It's been really fun. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please do subscribe to the Barefoot Mediator podcast series. And if you would like to access my free video series for managing in times of change, challenge and crisis, and download a PDF copy of my book, How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom, please go to janegunn.co.uk slash video. The link is in the show notes. <laughs>